Hey folks, Jared here. Today I'm joined by Charayu Takar to discuss his recent article in War on the Rocks on possible solutions for resolving the sovereignty dispute in the Chagos Archipelago. This episode was produced and edited by Marie Williams. Don't miss everything going on over at the website, simsec.org. The final call for articles for Project Trident is live. We're partnering with Lockheed Martin and Naval Warfare Studies Institute at the Naval Postgraduate School for Emerging Technologies. You can find more information about submission at simsec.org. We've also officially put out our call for articles for our end-of-year fiction contests in partnership with USNI. Again, go over to simsec.org for full details. Finally, I want to take the opportunity to recommend our partners in the Simsec Podcast Network, the Bilge Pumps. You can find Alex, Jamie, Drack, and Apollo of Iron Brew Bottles wherever you download your podcasts. On that note, I'll turn it over to Kimber's men. You're listening to Sea Control, hosted by the Center for International Maritime Security. Aloha, shipmates, and welcome aboard Sea Control. I am joined today by Chirayu Taka, and we'll be discussing his recent article in War on the Rocks, Overcoming the Diego Garcia Stalemate. Uh, Chirayu, welcome, and would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Uh, hi, Jared. Uh, thanks for inviting me to your podcast. I'm Chirayu Thakkar, and I'm a visiting fellow at the Stevenson Center. And uh, simultaneously, I'm doing my PhD at the National University of Singapore. Well, thank you. And as a reminder, all opinions expressed are our own and not reflective of any institutions with which we might be otherwise associated. So we'll jump right into the questions here then, Chirayu. Uh, how did Britain manage to retain sovereignty over the Chagos Archipelago when it granted Mauritius independence in 1965? Basically, there are two uh, ways at looking at, at this. One is the British way uh, that uh, we granted complete, I mean, the British granted the complete independence uh, uh, to uh, uh, Mauritius and they said that, okay, this particular uh, part or this piece of land or this set of islands we need for defense purposes and uh, you have to lend it to us. Uh, and uh, they allegedly uh, paid uh, three million pounds in 1965. I think it was the Wilson administration that negotiated it during the famous Lancaster House talks. So. Uh, this was tied to independence of Mauritius. And uh, then there is other way of looking at it or other side of the story, if you want. That is the Mauritius side of the uh, story, which says that this was tied to independence. It was not a free and fair negotiation, implying there was some sort of strings attached or uh, uh, some sort of decision making that happened under duress. And therefore, it is an incomplete decolonization What's the significance of the Chagos Archipelago to Mauritius and why is the government so set on getting it back? There are, there are multiple levels at which uh, this question can be answered. Uh, as I said, first of all, it's an issue of national sentiment that a part of us uh, never uh, actually got decolonized uh, completely. And uh, it, it's a matter of national fulfillment. Uh, there are some uh, public sentiments uh, associated with it, uh, it. So th that is at the national level. Now, speaking to people who have lived in Chagos, so in 1965, uh, this uh, talks, uh, the Lancaster House talks, uh, this uh, settlement was negotiated. In 1968 onwards, there were around 2,000 people who were living in, uh, on this islands, and they were uh, relocated. Some of them, they went to Seychelles. Some of them, they went to the UK. Some of them, they went to Mauritius. So for those people, it is about reclaiming their land. So 
uh, that, that's another constituency third for mauritius it is an issue about resources so even at the height of uh, lancaster house talks and uh, this i have not discussed in my article but this is something i'm i'm uh, saying exclusively in this podcast uh, at the height height of lancaster house talks there is a a note as a part of the archives uh, by sir siusagar ram gulam who was actually leading the delegation and who became the first prime minister of mauritius uh, and uh, he says okay fine if you want this for defense purposes if you are so keen and just tied to uh, the the independence process it's okay but there are three or four caveats or riders from our end and two of them uh, were related to fishing rights and also about any minerals or oil that may appear in the chagos bank in the future so even in this critical moment of independence the elite had the, the fishing rights and and the resources on mind so it is also about that uh, at, at the fourth level uh, for mauritius it is also about political glory so if you look at the uh, post independence history of mauritius Uh, primarily two families uh, have ruled mauritius uh, they have alternated power between two uh, between two of them barring a brief interregnum of two years so whoever uh, completes this incomplete decolonization process he will go down uh, into history and i'm saying he deliberately because no she has come from the family so he will go down into history as someone who who actually addressed this uh, national fulfillment issue so that is that level and finally uh, if you look at the uh, east african littorals you will see that uh, uh, all the strategic real estate that djibouti and the countries they are leasing out they are gaining millions for doing nothing i mean uh, taking example of djibouti just from united states uh, they get 70 million dollars a year and from china they get another 20 million and they have i think uh, now given base to 6 7 8 countries so in a way uh, it's a financial uh, loss it's a resource loss uh, it's a sentimental issue it's a reclaiming issue and a political issue so there are multiple ways in which mauritians look at it i'd like to ask uh, two follow up questions if you'll permit me based on that answer uh, the first being do mauritians have the rights to fish inside the chagos archipelago do were they able to successfully negotiate those rights the key one of the key uh, troubles that mauritians had uh, with the brits uh, was uh, in 2010 when uh, britain dis- uh, actually declared the entire area as a marine protected area mpa which curtailed the rights so if you are asking me about present status because this marine protected area is enforced around chagos bank uh, currently in in the restricted area no Got it. Thank you. Um then the second follow-up question was specifically related to like the quote-unquote lease terms between the US and the UK. Does the US actually pay the UK for its basing rights in uh, Diego Garcia? Uh no, uh it's a free ride currently for the United States. Uh and uh, there are some uh, archival documents that uh, the research and development surcharge Uh, for the polaris missile that was around i think 14 million or something uh, uh, roughly and uh, at that time uh, united states waived that surcharge so it was one time uh, fee if if you want to say uh, for the diego garcia uh, i think it was some sort of a quid pro quo 
but presently United States is paying nothing. Thank you for uh, for addressing those two follow-ups there. So what is India's role in this dispute and why have they chosen to align themselves with Mauritius? Okay, so uh, uh, we have to first uh, understand that India is not uh, a direct stakeholder in this dispute. So uh, United Kingdom and Mauritius, they are, uh, they are contesting the sovereignty. United States has a base, but India doesn't have a direct role in it. But still, uh, I have uh, mentioned India as a key, key player in the article, and there are reasons for it. First, uh, India and Mauritius, they have very close ties. Uh, in fact, uh, it is often referred to in joint statements as, uh, or sometimes by political elites as little India. Uh, there is huge uh, uh, diaspora or people of Indian origin who are now important, uh, even to the extent that uh, the Mauritian Coast Guard, it's always headed by uh, an officer that is deputed by New Delhi. Uh, so uh, in a way, if you look, uh, this is uh, like uh, a, a multi-stranded, very strong bond between India and Mauritius. And any uh, international offensive or any international step that Mauritius wants to take it would usually have India by its side. So most recently, uh, Mauritius was on uh, the Financial Action Task Force, that is the Global Terror Watchdog, uh, on its gray list, and it, want to, it wanted to exit the gray list, uh, and it reached out to New Delhi that, please help us. And there are UN insiders whom I have interacted with, and they think that Mauritius would never uh, have been able to pull off uh, such a diplomatic victory against the United Kingdom without uh, India drumming up support directly, indirectly, or, or whatever ways. Now, why India is doing this is because if India uh, does not uh, continue to support Mauritius as an old friend, uh, first of all, it's a principled issue uh, because India has always uh, stood by decolonization. It has its own history with colonization. So th that's a principal issue. But at a more instrumental level, if it does not stand with Mauritius, uh, China is already making huge progress uh, politically as well as economically with Mauritius and uh, uh, not having India on its side leaves it in the search of another patron and that can be disastrous both for India's foreign policy as well and for this issue as well. So, uh, and on the other hand, India is also a good friend uh, with the United States and the United Kingdom as well. So when Mauritius launched this international offensive, uh, going to the United Nations General Assembly or going to the International Court of Justice. Uh, it was both uh, then British Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson and then uh, US uh, National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster who reached out to Delhi and said that, can you please lean on Mauritius and try to stop it, it from going international and embarrassing us. So uh, this makes uh, uh, India as a key arbiter and a key stakeholder. So we discussed sort of the defense implications. I mean, I think we mentioned them in, in passing. We haven't gone deep into them, but what is the significance of the archipelago to the United Kingdom? Talking about United Kingdom, I think uh, at the most basic level, it is about prestige. So uh, as a, a former self of its, uh, uh, of its grand empire, uh, uh, and as a waning naval power, uh, having overseas base is a matter of prestige. But more than that, I think it allows uh, Britain to contribute to the Western alliance or the Five Eyes alliance, uh, because 
a lot of uh, important intelligence and recon facilities are based there. So without expending resources, it allows United Kingdom to say that, okay, we are also contributing to this alliance and we are contributing to the United States and, and this uh, system of architect this architecture, security architecture that United States has, has put in place. So uh, directly United Kingdom does not have a lot of skin. Uh, in, in so, but it's an indirect way of showing uh, to the alliance that, okay, we are also contributing. We haven't brought up uh, the, the major complicating factor, and that's the U.S. military facility at Diego Garcia. Why is that facility important to the region? Uh, yeah, why is uh, that facility important? Uh, I think uh, there are some scholars, uh, and uh, allow me to uh, quote them, uh, who have said that it is the most important and expensive U.S. military base overseas. And Perhaps, Jared, I think uh, it is because of the sensible central location uh, uh, that it is. And uh, we have seen uh, its utility without uh, like even speculating that how it can be, even if we look at the past utilities and current utilities. Diego Garcia is currently uh, considered as, uh, you know, uh, one of the central hub for the worldwide network of supply depots for fuel and combat. So... Uh, it hosts a lot of uh, critical inventories uh, and uh, sometimes you can have strat uh, strategy, but if you don't have enough logistics, strategy is useless. So uh, it, it, it is actually, some people have described to me it as a backbone of logistics. So, so that is one way of, of looking at it. The second is, uh, it's a critical launch pad. So we know uh, all the, the many uh, bombers uh, it has, and in the past uh, it has uh, used it as a, a launch pad for air force missions in the Middle East, and uh, uh, it can reach up to Afghanistan from, from that particular base. And, and given the tumult and turmoil Afghanistan is in it, uh, the United States is looking for bases nearby. But if need be, uh, actually flight sorties can go from Diego Garcia all the way up to Afghanistan. Uh, that's what I'm being told. And uh, uh, in the in the past, uh, in the Iraq War and and in other operations in Middle East, it played a very critical role. Uh, but even more important to that, it has one of the four or five uh, GPS ground stations. Uh, so that makes it uh, critical for the United States. Uh, it has deep space surveillance systems uh, and also subsurface oceanic intelligence stations. So in terms of recon, uh, in terms of uh, having an uh, 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 launch pad for airstrikes uh, in, in terms of critical inventory and logistics. And apart from that, uh, we have heard some unsubstantiated reports about rendition uh, flights uh, also. So in a way, everything that you can imagine a base can do, uh, uh, all those facilities are either stationed or reported in the past. Now, Mauritius has offered to lease the facility back to the U.S. in exchange for U.S. support in the sovereignty dispute. So why, in your opinion, has the U.S. refused to accept that offer? Let me put it uh, this way, that uh, U.S. would be uh, more happy uh, with such an arrangement with an old ally uh, whose common uh, uh, interests are enmeshed. Uh, and there is no reason for United States to actually snub and uh, an old ally like the United Kingdom. But if you look at the offer and the fine print of the offer, it is not 
until most recently that mauritius has come out in open and said that okay we are going to uh, offer you the base back and we want your presence so they have come out in open publicly started endorsing united states presence there earlier from what we know from cables uh, is that uh, this conversations were happening in private and uh, uh, whenever they they reached out to the americans the americans would say that oh we are tenants it's not for us uh, you go and negotiate this with united kingdom and when they would go to united kingdom uh, there is this uh, infamous phrase now by uh, prime minister gordon brown uh, where it says it is up to the americans we don't use it so it was a bit of a ping pong between the uh, between uh, united kingdom and the united states but when mauritius uh, started making public offer to to make it persuasive for washington they usually say this that we want to give this base to you we want uh, the military facility uh, and its utility uninterrupted but the important rider that comes along with this public offer is that uh, in accordance with international law and in my own analysis and in analysis of a lot of other international law scholars this particular phase in accordance with international law can be problematic at many levels now most importantly to start with is at the nuclear level so uh, it's the united states policy to neither confirm nor deny nuclear weapons uh, on its uh, on its submarines on its uh, on its uh, uh, other weapons uh, uh, other platforms maybe its bombers or any uh, any other uh, actually vehicles uh, while they are in transport internationally uh, now mauritius is signatory to the palindaba treaty and this palindaba treaty has a particular clause that uh, you cannot have nuclear weapons of your own but you also cannot station nuclear weapons by any other nuclear weapon state so the five uh, official nws states the nuclear weapon states they can also not uh, station nuclear weapons on your territory now uh, today technically the the diego garcia base is a british territory but tomorrow if it becomes a mauritian territory then even on diego garcia the palindaba treaty would be applicable it means that united states cannot use it for uh, any stationing or or passing off of submarines or passing off of uh, any other vehicle that has a nuclear bomb loaded on it or a nuclear explosive loaded on it so that that's the first aspect jabir now there are some people who have said that okay you can uh, actually inter, uh, there is no port call timing in it and uh, that's the that's the way you can actually skirt around the treaty uh, and station for some time or you can continuously station for a little longer so on and so forth but mauritius has never shown that eagerness or or the behavior past behavior of of the mauritian leaders is contrary to that and i have described a few instances in my article that they have called for iaea inspection uh, of uh, uh, the diego garcia base or uh, there was this uh, uss emorias land uh, that was passing through diego garcia and they would have uh, they would have been tipped off from somewhere that has uh, nukes on it 
and uh, they they launched a diplomatic protest uh, uh, with the local mission uh, that this is unacceptable we are signatories of palindaba treaty so on and so forth so this this can be an issue now allow me to stretch this a little bit united states as a nuclear weapon state as an nws has not signed the treaty it has signed the treaty but the us congress has not ratified the treaty and same way taking a cue from uh, united states even russia has signed the treaty but its duma has never ratified it so uh, technically speaking united states does not have to abide by it because it's not someone who has ratified the treaty interestingly united kingdom as a nuclear weapon state it has both signed and ratified it, this treaty but has put an asterisk mark saying that this treaty would not be applicable to biot that is british uh, indian overseas territories which includes uh, diego garcia bay and it says that it's not applicable uh, because it's not a part of africa it's a british territory and to extend uh, your point britain has not only made this arrangement just for the palindaba treaty it has made similar arrangement for another eight or nine treaties uh, which are environmental uh, which are uh, human rights and torture related so some scholars have essentially described uh, diego garcia bay or this whole chagos archipelago as a, a some sort of a treaty black hole so no international law no international convention or covenant is applicable there and therefore there is unrestricted utility coming back to the question that why mauritius's offer is unacceptable my hunch is that so far as they continue to trumpet this in accordance with international law it would remain as unattractive as it can be so you propose co-management of the archipelago as a means of resolving this solution what does co-management mean in this instance and then why are you suggesting that as a solution okay so uh, first let me uh, give you the why part so there are few reasons that uh, all four countries can resolve this issue and uh, one uh, primarily all four parties are democracies second all four parties have a very clear and, and again i mean india has a very restricted role but at least if you want the three parties they have a very uh, common uh, geopolitical orientation and uh, mauritians have time and again privately and publicly said that we won't do anything that jeopardizes uh, india's interest or that of its uh, partners or its friends so uh, in a way uh, nobody wants to uproot uh, american military presence from this particular piece of land so to say uh, it it's not about a, a geopolitical game where uh, who will uh, try to get the other out they are all on the same side but they are unable to negotiate because parties are not able to understand each other's interests now uh, the base was initially leased for 50 years which ended in 2016 and there has been now an extension for another 20 years so the new renegotiation will happen uh, in 2036 now until 2036 comes you cannot uh, sit across the table and continue pointing fingers at each other uh, because this issue is now becoming an international embarrassment for the united kingdom for the united states and uh, 
uh, when uh, China uh, lost the, the case against the Philippines, the Global Times uh, said that, oh no, this is something similar to the Kingdom and Mauritius. So it is China uh, who is uh, actually pointing fingers at you in a very tacit way. I have not come across any foreign office statement so far, but uh, Global Times, uh, it effectively speaks for the CCP as we understand. So uh, instead of this issue going on like this without any resolution until 2036, and, and it creates problems uh, within parties who, who want rules-based order in a way, but this is finding a middle ground and you can find middle ground between democracies. It's, it's not difficult. So this is the why part of it, that why some solution. I call it a co-management solution, but there can be any solution to this. This is just one way of pointing that a solution is possible. So what is co-management and what co-management looks like? Now, I have not prepared like a detailed fine print and I can or any analyst cannot uh, prepare a fine print to the extent that every possible uh, issue is covered unless parties sit across the table. But I have mooted an idea and what co-management looks like. So in this co-management, you don't give up your uh, sovereignty prejudice. Uh, you don't give up your sovereignty claims. But currently, it is uh, actually administered uh, by the United Kingdom. Uh, uh, so there is a London-based administrator who looks after the issues, revenues, permits, so on and so forth. Everything is uh, administered by this. This can be shared by a committee or two administrators, one is from Mauritius, one is uh, from the United Kingdom. They can jointly manage and they can jointly manage in a way that does not disrupt the, the logistical part of it, the military logistical part of it. So all the civilian issues are there. You can start from there as a first point and then gradually move along. Second, uh, now it is out in open that United Kingdom uh, actually created this marine protected area, not for the purpose of conservation. There are leaked cables, which are produced in the court as well. Uh, there is very clear uh, negotiation or discussion happening between uh, diplomats uh, from London and Washington that the primary purpose of creating this MPA is to give uninterrupted uh, access uh, to, to the Americans. So uh, I think that is unfair. And there is the northern part of Chagos Bank. There are big islands. And you don't need to curtail fishing in that particular part. It in, it, it in no ways interrupts your base or the services at the base. And there you are partly unfair to the Mauritians. So the marine protected area can be reduced. Fishing rights can be restored. And this joint committee or a pair of uh, administrators, they can sit, they can look after civil issues, they can issue fishing rights, a revenue sharing arrangement can be there. And if, let's say, uh, Mauritius uh, is also interested in, in conserving the Chagos Bank, then uh, the way Seychelles basically did a debt swap for its conservation uh, efforts, I think uh, in a way Mauritius can benefit by allowing the conservation activity to continue. Chagos Bank can actually uh, be put under uh, some trust and, and uh, in a way that process can continue. And whatever amount it is get, uh, losing because of fishing rights, that swap can happen. So this is a matter of fine print uh, and each party's uh, concerns to be addressed. 
but i think that it is not difficult to come to table and give mauritius some say into this until 2036 happens until or at least before that when you are prepared all these legal issues are sorted and you are prepared for the transfer of sovereignty which eventually has to happen at some point so final question then in your opinion would the mauritians agree with your proposal or some variant of your proposal here jared uh, i don't see a reason why they would not and uh, let me give the credit where it is due i'm not the originator of this plan it it is mauritians who did this for a similar island with the french so there is an island uh, in the vicinity known as the tromelin island uh, sovereignty of it is contested between uh, france uh, and mauritius and uh, in the 1990s I, i mean it's a 1 mile by 1 mile island it's it's not as this big but uh, france had some, uh, some utility to it maybe dual use uh, but uh, it, it has some uh, utility to that island and in the 1990s they decided that let's go for uh, joint management and it's mauritians who came up with the plan in 1990s and then in 2010 they prepared the fine print of it uh, the negotiations went on for a while but after uh, 2010 the french were uh, going to ratify it it did not uh, go to the parliament until 2017 and at the 11th hour Uh, the french parliament decided not to ratify it so if the mauritians they were willing uh, the, the cases are both similar but if they were willing to go for co-management of tromelin island i don't see a reason why they could not go uh, for uh, the co-management of chagos island and again this is uh, temporary i'm not saying that this is a permanent solution but until you sort out the legal issues or international law issues or the utility related issues or the repatriation of chagosian issues there is a lot at stake this is as i have said it's a stop gap measure instead of this issue festering and becoming an embarrassment for all four democracies and china pointing finger at you it's better that you create at least this as a stop gap measure so this is a stop gap measure that's what i want to reemphasize uh, and yeah that's my answer Charlie this was phenomenal. I I want to thank you for coming on today. Where can we find you online and what are you working on next? Uh thanks Jared uh, again for inviting me. I can be reached on Twitter uh, @thakachirayu uh and uh, uh yeah I I started researching on this issue uh, fascinated by why India did not vote with its close partners United States and United Kingdom and I'm looking at more such uh not so uh, or or let's say uh, counterintuitive uh, india's behavior in international arena and the indian multilateralism so yeah these are some of the projects i'm working on next well thank you for joining us and to the listeners thanks for tuning in we'll see you next time